Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Skyhook. I am your host, James Kay. And before we get into the conversation I had with Nick Niendorf last night, I want to encourage all of you to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, or Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would appreciate if you could take some time to do that. If you want to contact me, you can always email the show's mailbag, which is the Skyhook Mailbag at gmail.com, or you can tweet at the show's handle on Twitter, which is at Skyhookin'. So, one more quick announcement before we move ahead to my chat with Nick. I'm no longer going to be able to do this show on a weekly basis. I recently accepted a sports editor job that, I mean, it's a seven day a week job now, so I'm not going to be able to put out weekly Sky content, unfortunately. I have left Ash Radio and their network um, on the Nothing But Net channel. So, yeah, um, I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to put out Sky content as consistently as I have been able to this season. But, yeah, I have, I actually missed the last eight days of, of Sky Town just because I was on a vacation, an eight-day vacation with my girlfriend. We just celebrated our four-year anniversary. Shout out to Maggie. Um, but anyway, you don't need you don't care about that. So... <laughs> so I sat down with Nick just to talk about what the future looks like for the sky in the short term. With We're going to do a little playoff preview at the end of the show, but also just looking ahead to the 2020 season. We're going to just talk about the a subplot to the 2020 season, heading into that season, I should say. We also talked about the Katie Lou Samuelson situation and with like what happened with her mom on social media and just a bunch of other stuff, but... But yeah, I won't extend this intro anymore. Let's do this. Nick, we just have to start off by talking about the hottest topic in Skytown just before we get into the rest of the episode. And I mean, you know exactly where I'm coming from with this one. That ejection of a stew do. I mean, I mean, you had the video of the incident that went viral on Twitter and just showing Kevin Fahey, the official that ejected a stew. He backed into he backed into her before kind of losing his shit and tossing her. Um, people went nuts on social media, myself included. But I feel like there are a hundred things we could take away from this. And I don't know. I want to I'll let you start off with this before I get a rant in because I have so many thoughts. But what did you take away from this situation? And is there going to be any ramifications for the officials down the road or even the WNBA? Yeah, like I mean, obviously, I, I agree. I thought it was completely ridiculous. I thought it was just like the softest ejection I've probably ever seen. And obviously, the league went ahead and rescinded the technical and I guess rescinded the ejection, although that doesn't can't really rescind the ejection because obviously a stew was still out for the rest of that game. But I think just the biggest takeaway I got uh, from all the players and just sort of writers reacting to it is it really just felt like it kind of embodied the struggle between the players and the officials all season. Like it just seemed like a perfect like tipping point. It was very representative uh, into the most extreme sense of the word, but very representative of how officiating has, has been dicey all season. So I do think it's one of those things, especially when they're talking about negotiating for the CBA and talking about 
the officials talking about refereeing, which I'm, I'm sure they will talk about. I feel like it is going to be something that, that they address. And I thought Wade's take on the matter was pretty interesting because he had talked about how a stew English isn't her first language. And so a lot of times for players who aren't necessarily speaking English a hundred percent to officials that struggle, especially in the, the heat of the moment when they've just gotten teed up, uh, they're in the heat of a game. A lot of times those players need to be a little more physical to get the best attention to communicate things. And so he thought that that was, that was a big reason that the ref just kind of jumped to conclusions uh, and he obviously contended that, that was ridiculous. Obviously, he didn't come out and say it outright, but obviously was not happy with it. So I think that could be an interesting angle that's addressed this off season as well. But I think overall, just the officiating, it, it needs. I don't know what you can do because uh, the NBA has had has had this problem really this this past two seasons. There's been a, a rash of technicals and a rash of incidents between players and referees. So I don't know necessarily how you address it, but I do think it's something that will be addressed. I think one part of this that that I think people didn't really talk about a ton of, I agree with everything you just said. When they talk about in the rule book about players not being able to make contact with an official and how that results in immediate ejection, I think when they mean by that is it's like malicious intent with contacting with an official. And I mean, you can't look at the video and see anything that like like you can't see anything from that video that resembles any malicious intent and she was just trying to get her like his attention but he also was backing into her so it's like a complete overreaction and i just i couldn't believe when i saw it yesterday but um and i think that a lot of people my again i said a lot, like i went off on kevin fahey yesterday on twitter and and before I get into what I'm going to say, I want to start off by stating that I hate cancel culture. And I think that in some cases, it's counterintuitive to blame an individual for one mistake to the point where they can't learn from that mistake. And again, this is just some cases. But I mean, especially referees, like they have the most thankless job that, you know, I feel like we don't appreciate enough. They never they're never rewarded for the good things they do in like in these games. But in this case, like Kevin Fahey just cannot officiate a playoff game this postseason. I mean, this has been a problem the entire season. Like, Chris Pennant provided some interesting stats on Fahey earlier this afternoon. Uh, let me just get my notes. He said that there have been 19 technical fouls called against the Sky this season, and Fahey has called five of them in the five games he has officiated. And, I mean, that's just kind of ridiculous to me. I mean, he also is averaging four more fouls um, per game in the games that he officiates compared to the league average, which is 34. So he's calling like 38 and a half. It's just, it's so ridiculous. Like, I don't know. It feels kind of moronic to just scapegoat him for like all the games he's officiated. And, but like in terms of the eye test, like I've been at some of these games and he just fails the eye test in a way that's just staggering. Like, I don't know. Like, were you at that Sparks Sky game in, um, I think it was right before the controversial Aces game. Did, were you at that game? I forget. At Wintrust. No, I don't think I was. It was ridiculous. I mean, the foul, the fouls called on Candace Parker were atrocious. That even like Sky fans were just kind of like, "What is that? Did they actually call that?" But he like, and the reason I bring that up is that he does something in basketball that I hate more than anything. If he calls multiple calls wrong against one team, he tries to make it up by calling more fouls the other way to balance it out. 
And like that is so infuriating because you should just call the game the way you see it. And maybe you shouldn't want Kevin Fahey to call the game the way he sees it because, you know, he's such a bad referee. But like that type of dynamic that hurts the product on the court, you know, like there's been games where he's like, he's been a part of an officiating crew that had 51 fouls called like that is over a foul a minute. Like that ruins the pace of the game. Like we talked about that last time you were on the pod, just that ruins the skies game, especially because they want to get out and run it just because they don't have the most size out of a lot of these teams. So they want to get it and go and just try to, you know, try to have like take advantage of, you know, a trailing front court, like an opposing front court, just trying to get back in transition as well. Um, but I actually have one last tidbit before I volley the conversation back to you. So I, like I said, at the top of this, I tweeted out something yesterday saying that, you know, Kevin Fahey is the worst WNBA referee and that I've never seen two teams be upset during the same game at a referee, just calling atrocious call after atrocious call. And you know who liked it? A G League general manager for the Delaware Bluecoats. And you know, oh and you know who is a part-time referee for the G League, Nick? Kevin Fahey, man. Like, I... I mean, again, I I didn't want to reach out to the guy and just be like, hey, man, I saw that you liked my tweet and uh, I just want to get a comment from you. Like, you know, he's probably just browsing through his Twitter at the end of the long day or whatever. But like that probably kind of says something. I mean, like and maybe it means nothing, but I thought it was funny, but kind of alarming at the same time, because another league, you know, so, I mean, a general manager did this, you know, and I checked and like looked at his background. Like that's the official account for this guy. And he's, you know, he liked that. And you, you don't really see those, like, front office people, like, those type of tweets if they aren't, like, if they don't believe it on some level. But, um, I mean, did I lose you there at all? Like, is there, like, uh, am I missing something from this situation? I couldn't, I just couldn't believe what I saw yesterday. No, I really, I completely agree with you. Um, kind of going back to your earlier point about what kind of contact refs can have. Uh, and in terms of like the official rule essentially stating, you know, if you make contact with the ref, you get ejected. But that's obviously not the case because you see players all the time kind of go up to a ref after a foul call, put their arm around them, kind of have a conversation when they have that relationship. I mean, that's that's super common at most levels of professional basketball. Uh, and so I think that was a that's a good point to make. But yeah, back to your uh, comment about the uh, Delaware Bluecoats uh, GM. Uh, kind of just liking your tweet i think that's great i know uh, chris had pointed out um that kevin fahey does officiate in the g league and i know he didn't have time to kind of dig into those numbers but i would be super interested in seeing what the discrepancies were there because it does sound like just from that brief little online interaction that it, it does extend across the leagues yeah it's just frustrating because this is a professional basketball league and i understand that like the g league is also a league that's used for referees to train as well like they need to get in-game action as well to be able to be promoted to the ultimate goal, which is to be in the NBA officiating those games. But at the same time, you're damaging a product that's already damaged by a lack of marketing. And I mean, again, that's probably going to be fixed hopefully in the next few years with the new board of advocates group that Kathy Engelbert formed. But this just, it just hurts the WNBA when you have this many fouls called and you have someone that's leading the charge with it. Again, I'm not trying to scapegoat him, but the inconsistency is all over the place with this guy. Um, I just hope he doesn't ref any games in the playoffs, but we don't need to talk about it more. I just had to get that off my chest after last night. I was like thinking about it on a walk this morning. I'm like, God, like 
this guy. It's been pissing me off for weeks, so I just had to get it off on the podcast. Um, well, you've been you've been validated. <laughs> I mean, I think you've been the one that's been validated with the how that uh, what was it the viral video you had the other day, man? Congrats! Uh, yeah, that is that like was just completely out of left field because I usually just I screen capture whatever I find interesting during the game or like impressive, and so I just kind of put that out there because I was like, oh, this is like super memeable this is very just like ridiculous <laughs> and i expected it just be the usual run of the fair but yeah it, it blew up uh, which again for how ridiculous the situation is i, I think it, it deserves that attention from just basketball fans everywhere because it was again just a ridiculous situation to happen to such a nice player you know it was a big deal when shay uh, serrano came in and uh shay serrano am i saying that right i I love listening to him. I always mess up his name, but like he was even tweeting about like, uh, what is going on here? Like, um, (laughs) but yeah, no, I mean, I'm glad that, uh, you got some recognition. I mean, you are like the WNBA version of Kevin O'Connor, but, um, (laughs) thank you again. You you give me these compliments. You really, you gas me up whenever I come on the pod. (laughs) Hey man, I just tell it how it is. Um, (laughs) but one thing I also wanted to talk to you about a stew do man, like, she has been killing it as of late. Like she's scored 13 or more points in six of the last eight games. And she's just kind of exhibited like her ability to shoot from beyond the arc. And I just kind of feel like she has shown that she is a WNBA starter who has, who can still improve remarkably. So, but it's also kind of easy to forget what Jantel did this season. I mean, she averaged 10 and seven. I think there were only 14 players this year. I, that's a stat that I'm just pulling out of my ass, like from my, I looked up a couple weeks back. But I think there's only 14 players that average 10 and 7 this season, and Jantel was one of them. And, you know, that's a valuable asset to have. And, you know, she's also the leader of this team. I think that everyone thought that Astu was going to be a placeholder at the four until Jantel got back to full health next season. But I just wanted to ask you and just get your thoughts on this. If Astu is a key piece in driving the sky deep into the playoffs this year and just continues to show off her versatility in Wade's system, do you think that like one subplot to the 2020 sky season is going to be like how Wade is going to work out all these front court players and just figure out his rotation for going into 2020? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I feel like even be- before the Jantel Lavender injury, that front court was kind of in an interesting spot just because Steph Dolson can be free agent this offseason and with the new DBA, you never know what's going to happen with player salaries so I, I thought that could be a very interesting wrinkle but now Stu's just come in here and kind of proven that she's like a very valuable starter to have so I do wonder how Wade is going to try to balance you know those players minutes and how, how much he values them in terms of retaining them whether it be through free agency or through trades, especially yeah. when you consider, you know, you have Gabby Williams and Katie Lou Samuelson who can slot in at that four spot, uh, as well as Kalia Copper, who's, who's played there a little bit this season. I think there's a lot of interesting moving parts, and Astu Du's you know, productivity, like you said, she's been incredible these past few weeks and has, has really proven herself. I think her productivity kind of adds another interesting question for him to answer this offseason. So I wanted to ask you just now, you said that Steph could be a free agent this summer. I I thought that she just signed an extension. Did she have an option on that deal? I could be wrong. I, I looked, I know I looked this up earlier. I could be wrong. So definitely, definitely check me on that. But I thought I had seen that she could be, she could enter free agency 
this offseason. Interesting, because I thought she just signed a three-year extension before last year, and um, I actually kind of questioned that in my second episode of the show with Eric Nemchak, but um, okay, I'll, have to, I'll look into that, but I kind of think that she fits Wade's system still. Like, let's just go down the line in terms of this front court, just to like really stack on top of like how it really shapes out. Because I think that one of the reasons that Steph is going to be in his Sky uniform next year is that she's a fan favorite. Um, she's a leader, and I do think she, she did sign that extension. But she also, we've talked about it before, just how she's a stretch five, and that's going to be a really valuable type of player moving forward in the WNBA. She really takes away opposing centers. Like ability to close out on some like on slashers, so I think that, I mean, I do think that she's probably going to stay with this guy and probably be in the starting lineup. But then, if you look like you just said, like Katie Lou Samuelson, they just drafted her with the the fourth overall pick, and you don't want to just waste that pick and just have her talent erode on the bench, even though she is like she's still a prospect. But like you don't, you got to give her some reps to make sure that she like that you understand what you're getting from her. I mean, Gabby Williams, too. I mean, she's going to be running the, like, the... I think she's going to be running the one, like, throughout her career. But I also talked to Wade a couple weeks back before the Mystics game. And he said that just because this guy signed Kayla Alexander, that it doesn't mean that Gabby won't play the four. Since I'm... And I'm quoting him right now. She is a viable four. So she's also kind of in the mix there. Cheyenne, too. I mean, there are times when she has looked like the best player on the court and... I feel like she has a 20 points in a game stealing when she is out there playing at her best. So you also don't want to waste her talent. I mean, there's just so many pieces that this guy have in the front court that there is such thing as having too much talent. And there are a few avenues the team could go down this offseason. And I think you mentioned one of them. Like they could trade some of their pieces for a bona fide star to complement Diamond, Ali, Sloot, and Steph. And that is their best lineup this season based on the like advanced metrics um, and, and like for player lineups. And I mean, they could also run it back and just hope the chemistry they built this season carries over into next season and just hope that the bench mob continues to just bash other teams like second units. But I kind of feel like the most, and I'll and correct me if you think, um, or just let me know if you think otherwise, I think that the, mo- the, the thing that's going to happen, like that's probably going to happen is that they're going to pull off something similar to what the Sun did this past offseason by just unloading one piece to get a draft pick that could be useful down the line. Um, but, I mean, this is a quote-unquote problem, you know, like it's a quote-unquote good problem to have. But, I mean, this has to be considered, right? Like out of those three options, what would you do if you were in Wade's shoes this offseason? Yeah, because, I mean, it's tough. I feel like, I feel like with Katie Lou, you almost... I, I'm I'm almost in the in the camp of like one of those bench players. Maybe you let them walk in free agency, or like you said, you trade them for a draft pick. Um, I don't necessarily, I don't necessarily know if I would trade somebody like Steph or Jantel or a Stu or Cheyenne, just because I feel like they're all very reliable and they're a great quartet to have in the front court. You know so what I you're getting from them. They, yeah, exactly. You know what you're going to get from them most nights. I think Cheyenne still struggles with consistency obviously and Steph's had foul trouble but they are just on a, a great level of production and so I wonder if somebody maybe like Kalia Copper could be the person that gets kind of the short end of the stick but I, I do feel like those Katie Lou's got to get minutes probably next year I feel like 
I, I don't think it's going to be like a sink or swim, do or die situation for her, but I feel like that will be a bigger priority throughout the regular season, especially if she can be healthy and she'll have an off-season overseas, overseas play. So I could see a move being made just to free up some, some minutes for her without sacrificing too much depth. So I don't want to give away too much of what we're going to be talking about in the next segment, but if... If I'm Wade and like Katie Lou is someone that they're even considering about letting go, and I really hope they don't, but I kind of feel like they have to pull that trigger late in the offseason just because she could develop in France, and I believe that's where she's going to be playing in the offseason. Like she could really get back to her 2017, 2018 form and really be a contributor off the bench. She's probably not going to start unless she really blows away everyone at camp, but. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine them letting go of that piece. Actually, let's just get into what what happened with Katie Lou's mom. I mean, Lou's mom had some words to say on Twitter about James Wade and I mean her daughter's lack of playing time this season. And I'm just going to quote Madeline Kenny in her article. Um, this is just a transcription of that. Um, this is what she said in the article. In a recent Sometimes article, Wade said he drafted Katie Lou as a long-term solution for when guard Allie Quigley eventually retires. But Samuelson's mother, Karen, wrote that it's bullshit. I'm glad that I can finally swear on this podcast. Um, she said that on Twitter, and uh, and this is part of Madeline's piece, and she didn't stop there. You know what else is funny? That he never once communicated that to her, but he gives you he gives you, uh, that BS to you. Karen tweeted in response to the Sun-Times article about Samuelson. In another tweet, Karen, whose daughter, that's uh, not important, um, she wrote, if only he could cut her like Chloe Jackson, she would be better off. I hate to even like pose this question just because I am really high in Lou as a WNBA player. And I just think that she's, she's just in a tough situation right now and she's been banged up this season, but I think it has to be, the question has to be posed. What are the chances of her not being on this team next year? You know, I think one of the biggest things that I think could keep her on the team, other than, you know, the simple fact of James Wade believing in her, wanting to continue to invest in a, a top pick that he made, um, would just be her, her her trade value cannot be super high right now after the year she's had. I think if if they were to have trade her maybe on draft night, uh, that would be a different story. But I, I think the season that she's had this year has probably raised a lot more flags for other teams. Um, Maybe one of those, a, a team that's more in a rebuilding mindset would be willing to take a flyer for her. But I just don't know if the return you could get would be worth it. And I, I feel like unless unless that situation is untenable and it is one of those situations where what her mother is saying is reflective of what she thinks and how she feels and that relationship is truly like too far gone, I think then you, you probably cut ties just for the sanctity of the locker room uh, out of respect for Lou and out of respect for... James Wade, you, you make that move, but it just it just seems like you would not be able to get enough to warrant getting rid of a top pick this early in their career. I agree with that. I also kind of, I just feel so bad for Lou, and I think the part that like perplexes me the most is that her mom would put her in this situation. Like, I feel so bad for Lou. Like, this isn't Little League, you know what I mean? You can't be confrontational in a public forum like Twitter. Like, I understand like the frustration since Lou has been playing high-quality minutes for most of her basketball life, but you can't, you just can't do something like this, and especially if you want to have a long-term future with a team. Like, I just can't think of many situations where someone posts on social media and whether it's, like, subtweeting or being direct with 
someone involved with the organization and it ends with everybody laughing it off and you know driving into the sunset not having to uh you know like completely forgetting about the situation i mean can you name one time in sports history where someone has publicly like slandered the organization or someone related the like related to uh the player involved like has slandered the organization and it all ends up being okay because besides antonio brown i guess um i can't really think of a situation where it Actually, that I can't even count that because the Raiders are now screwed. But like, I guess I, I view it as a positive because I'm a Pats fan. Anyways, but do you th- can you even think of any situations where like figuring this thing out publicly has worked out? I mean, not off the top of my head, especially in like a social media sense. It's just yeah, like you said, it, it's it's one of those things where it's just why why put your daughter in that situation unless you are like really trying to force force their hand it seems like something you should you know maybe you put on your facebook where it's only you know friends and family that are going to see it or on a private twitter account but to put it in like the public and replying to the article that's just such a bold move to me (laughs) and it's it stinks for lou because whether or not she feels that way it puts that thought out into the universe and it puts it out you know even if she is really happy with the organization or She's had some frustrations with the organization, but she has no plans on moving on from it. It, it puts that thoughts in, into the mind of writers and the minds of fans and into the mind of that locker room and the front office. And, and it makes it, it makes an, it makes what wasn't an issue before an issue. And so I, I don't know what the discussion that Wade and Lou have had, because I'm sure they've had a discussion since those tweets have come out. I don't know where they stand right now, but Again, it's just something that it just complicates something that doesn't need to be complicated, at least not during the regular season as they're preparing for the playoffs. I think the only defense I can make for Katie Lou's mom is that maybe she's older and doesn't understand the dynamic between like being able to put out those thoughts. Like my dad just discovered Stevie Ray Vaughan Facebook. Like that is the most outdated <laughs> thing that you can find out in like out on the internet right now. So like and my grandma actually just uh, had something recently where she thought she was sending a, a private message to my mom, but she ended up calling someone a, I can't, I'm not going to say the word, um, but she said it right on underneath someone's post. And like, she could, cause she just doesn't understand like what it means to put, like put that type of information out into the world. So maybe that like, that's the only defense I could make. Maybe like she just doesn't understand like how this works, but if your daughter is a professional athlete and like you know, she was a prominent player at UConn. She, like she ever, she was like a like the best player in 2017, 2018 on that team, arguably. And like she, she has to have some understanding. But maybe if she didn't, and she's just an older person that doesn't understand technology, maybe that's like maybe that's what happened here. And like it's just this has just been such a rough season for Lou. Not I mean not just because of like this kind of leaking out that this is probably the biggest thing that's come from Katie Lou's season, um, like you can't really say that what she's done on the court has been really newsworthy and it stinks just because the two picks that came after her are now in like the toughest uh, rookie of the year chase, like probably in WNBA history. Like it's so close right now that even Maggie Hendricks, I was talking to her and she said that she would put co rookies of rookies of the year and like, just have that be the award. Cause it's just that close. So like, it, it's hard to hear that noise and then have this new thing come up right before the playoffs start. I just feel so bad for Lou, and I just hope that she's on this team long term because I, I'm just rooting for her. So, um, 
But do you have any other thoughts on the Katie Lou Samuelson situation before we wrap this up? Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on, I know, uh, and this is kind of relating to what Katie Lou's mom was saying, but in terms of Wade coming out now and kind of saying that he views Katie Lou more as like the long-term replacement to Allie Quigley, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts on that compared to maybe some of the conversation around her in the beginning of the season. Because I always felt like she was somebody who, I don't want to say was hyped up because she was kind of projected to be a role, a role player for this team, but it definitely felt like she was going to be more a key role player based on kind of some of just the conversations uh, around the team heading into the season. And it seems like that has, that narrative has kind of shifted a little bit. And, and I'm curious if you think that's more so just a, a saving face kind of thing for, for Lou or more so just an adjustment in terms of way kind of taking a step back and saying, Hey, like, I still think this player is going to be really valuable, but she needs time to develop and kind of protecting her from the media, which I, I feel like uh, does in general a pretty good job of protecting his players from um, outside noise and things like that. So because we don't have a ton of time, I didn't want to bring this up, but dude, we had the same observation because when I was at the Seattle game, uh, whew, I think it was like the second Seattle game where I think this guy won that game, but it was early on the season and I asked Wade, just do you see Katie Lou as a four throughout the whole season, or are you going to try to work her in as like a like the two or three spot, just because that's what she was comfortable with in college, and that's what I mean. She that's a position that she doesn't have to adjust to, like being a, you know, by playing the four and you know going against Elena Deladon, Dewana Bonner, and Natasha Howard on a night to night basis. And he said, you know what, if Katie Lou's going to be in this league, she's going to be a four. You know, she's got a. Um, She's got to, to be the best. You got to play against the best. And, you know, it, it made it sound like she's going to be a four. Like, And I think that's the right move. And I think that's how you're going to maximize her skill set. So when I read this quote from the Sun-Times and he said, yeah, I view her as a long-term replacement for Ali Quigley, I had two thoughts. One, you just contradicted what we talked about in that post-game presser. But the second one was just... Allie Quigley and Katie Lou Samuelson are just different types of players. And it's just yeah. that, um, like, Katie Lou's just too slow to play the two and a three. And just view her as a long-term, like, a long-term solution. I think it was kind of, it kind of contradicted what he said at the beginning of the season. And not just at the beginning, what he said after they drafted her also. Just saying that, like, he views Lou as someone who can contribute right away. And that just because she's a defensive prospect, like, every, he said that every rookie is a defensive work in progress and the narrative has changed quite a bit because it's just these are different ideas that he's putting out there and I think Wade has done a great job this season but this is probably the one thing that you could point to and be like okay but what is this situation it's not a good one for Katie Lou right now and you get confidence is something that she struggles with like Gio Ariema said to her after week one I believe it was he said that the biggest thing is that you got to be more aggressive I've been telling you that since your freshman year how are you going to be more aggressive and feel more confident if you have all these conflicted, like conflicting ideas out there about who you're going to be as a player from your head coach? I, I could just, it's frustrating on her end. And then I understand why her mom said what she did because of that. Um, I don't know if that answered your question perfectly enough, but like, that's like it, those two, like, I agree with you. Like you, what you're observing right now is just, I think he is kind of saving face. Yeah, I, I kind of agree. I think it's just one of those things where, obvious, his initial comments, it's either his initial comments, he kind of owns up to them just being completely off, but then 
kind of just embarrasses Lou because she hasn't met those expectations or, or he shifts them a bit and almost puts it on himself a little bit. So I probably lean with, with that a little more, but yeah, it, it will be interesting. Like you said, I'm kind of in the boat where I hope she's in a sky uniform next season. I'm hoping that they can give her at least like bare minimum, like 10 minutes a game, uh, just on a consistent basis, just so they can figure out where she can play, how she can play and, and let her develop a little more. I mean, Another element of this, too, is that maybe he didn't expect the Sky to be in the playoffs in a position to be really contend for the championship this year. I mean, I don't know. I think that maybe he thought that he could get her more minutes, like in the way that we've been able to see Nafisa Collier get her minutes and Arike just, I mean, she played with an eight-person lineup against the Sky like in the Wings-Sky game. Where there was only eight players for the wings in that game like there's opportunity for like some of these rookies to really explode and katie lou just hasn't been able to do that but um yeah i really hope that she's on the team too but let's move forward to just to wrap this thing up with uh let's just preview this upcoming game between the sky and mercury on wednesday at Wintrust. so like i said before i missed about eight days of sky games just because as it turns out you can't stream WNBA games in Yosemite. So um, you have to fill me in on the last couple of games. How did the sky look in those game in that game against the Mercury? And is there anything that you can like take away from that game that you think will impact like this upcoming first round matchup? I think one of the biggest things is just the sky. Just they look super dominant in their last game against the Mercury. They just they looked like a great team. They look like the team. They look like this version of the sky at their best. And that's how they really played. Like, it just felt like they were kind of just running the Mercury off the court. It felt like they were just really outplaying them in, in most facets of the game. And it was one of those things where Brittany Griner, she got hers. She was she had just an amazing game. It was, it was a lot of fun to watch. But the Sky were able to kind of shut down the rest of the team and keep them in check. And so I wonder if that's something that they can repeat in a home game uh, against the Mercury in the playoffs. And I, I think it being at home is super helpful just because the Sky have been pretty spotty on the road this season, as have most WNBA teams. They have a, a pretty similar record um, to most of their WNBA playoff teams on the road, other than, you know, the, the cream of the crop. Uh, but, yeah, I really feel like the, the focus will be try to limit Griner if we can, at least make her uncomfortable, try to turn her over, try to get her in foul trouble, but really focus on staying home on some of their shooters and not letting the rest of the Mercury take the Sky out of the game. So who do you think wins this one? I'm, I think I'm going Sky all the way. I, I feel like just having that home court and how dominant the Sky did look in that last matchup and how, how good they have looked in some of those regular season matchups, I, I just feel like it's not the greatest matchup for the Mercury. And unless they have some major adjustments or if Diana Taurasi, you know, kind of has a, a mini return to form. I think that would be a, that'd be a nightmare scenario for the sky and really any playoff team is if Diana Taurasi can kind of get herself back in the flow of things after coming off that back injury. She's obviously, she's not looked, she's not looked right. I mean, those are tough injuries to come off of. Um, so I think a, a great night from her could, could be the things that kind of screw the skies over, but I, I I'm going sky all the way. How about you? I am terrified of this game because I, Every part of me wants to say that the Sky are going to win this game. I I do think that they are, but you're right. I mean, there's this four-headed monster that the, that the Mercury have right now. And if 
Diana just goats her way through the sky it wouldn't surprise me but I mean Brittany Griner like she's going to get 25 points in this game right like there's no chance that the sky are really going to be able to stop like the tear that like Brittany Griner has been on this last month um I mean you also mean like Leilani I always say Leilani Turner Leilani Mitchell has also been incredible this year um and Dewana Bonner I mean she actually scores better on the road than she does at home so if you factor in all of that and that again like Brittany Griner again one of the most dominant scorers this year I mean she averaged the most points per game this season and this guy gave up the most points in the paint like that just terrifies me like this thing could be lopsided quickly but I'm going with the sky just because they are the most resilient basketball team I have ever watched or covered honestly like they just have this knack for just being able to just stay in it and I, I do have the like all the faith in the world in them. I also just love what I'm seeing from Diamond to Shields lately, man. Like she I mean, this is like the ideal version of her, right? Just her being able to score twenty to to twenty five points on any given night. Like she is the key in the playoffs. So if we see a a game where Diamond shoots like eighteen to twenty shots and is hitting like from beyond the arc, which again, she's some that's something that she's been able to do as of late. I do think this guy can pull this one out just because there's such a, a home team that really feeds off the energy of wind trust. But how many points do you think it's going to be? Like, give me a score, like a prediction for the score. I'd probably go. I, I feel like it's, I'm feeling, I'm feeling like something in the eighties. Yeah. I'm going to go sky. Let's say 94. And I'll give them I'll give them six points on the Mercury. I'll go I'll, I'll go Sky ninety four, Mercury eighty eight. Yeah, I th- I think this is going to be a really close one. I had Sky eighty seven, Mercury eighty four. I th- I oh I'm so pumped for this game on Wednesday. That I'm so bummed I can't go. I like I have uh, I'm starting my new job on Wednesday. And I'm going to be missing that. I was going to go to uh, that first playoff game at Wintrust, but. I mean, besides that viral video, do you have anything else to plug before we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, so I'll have, I actually have a video, uh, or not a video, I have an article coming out pretty soon about Stephanie Dolson and just her outlet passing and what that could mean for the sky in the playoffs, but more so just like kind of an appreciation uh, of her game and in a season that has statistically been down a bit. And I also should have a, uh, a playoff preview coming out as well as some uh, playoff coverage. Oh, I'm so excited to read that. Um, Nick, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, always love having you. Always have a fun discussion with you. So um, let's, hopefully we can talk a little bit down the road. I hope this isn't like one of the last podcasts I do for the sky this season. And uh, you can always find Nick's stuff at High Post Hoops and the Locked On podcast, right? If I, this The Skycast podcast? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you so much for having me on. I always appreciate coming on. Oh, of course, man. Um, well, you have a good one. You too. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Skyhook. If you haven't done so already, I would really appreciate it if you could rate and review the show on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to contact me, you can always email the show's mailbag, which is theskyhookmailbag at gmail.com, or you can tweet at the show's handle, which is at skyhookin. Again, thank you so much for joining me on this episode, and until next time, my friends.